Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. I'm joined today by Bradley Gerald, news editor. How are you doing, Bradley? Well, it's hard to describe after the how, past week, isn't how it? How are you actually doing? How are you feeling? Are you feeling alright? Physically fit, <laughs> robust. <laughs> yeah, it's been an interesting week. Tiring. Ian Smith, company's editor, how are you? I'm absolutely fine, yeah. It's been fascinating, hasn't it? It's madness. What a time to be a journalist. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I've worked through a number of these these crises, but this one is the most interesting. It has the whole know. kind of political side to it, which is just bombastic, and anything we say about that will go and will be out of date within about a minute of well, the podcast. Well, indeed. I mean, I wrote an editorial a couple of weeks ago, you know, a week is a long time in politics and anything can happen, and you know, a day is a long time in politics at the moment. I mean... Where do we begin? This was the week in which Britain essentially voted to leave the European Union, which is possibly the biggest thing that has ever happened in any of our lifetimes and probably could be the biggest thing that happens throughout our entire lifetime. So who knows? But I mean, you know, it's still playing out. We have no idea what's going on. And it might take our entire lifetimes to happen. That's true. That's true. So, yeah, we've we've had an interesting week on on the magazine. The markets went into freefall, obviously, on uh, on Friday morning when the result came out. I must admit, I, I rolled out of bed fully expecting to have voted for the UK to have voted to remain. And we didn't. Yeah, it's um, as you say, the markets reacted in a way that showed they were a bit wrong-footed. I think you know um, there was a lot of certainty going into the the final stages of uh, the vote, the polling day. I mean, serious, serious certainty. Oh, yeah, because you yeah. were looking at the pound, which was strengthening quite yep. quite substantially. Equities. You were looking at the markets, which were were gaining a lot of ground. The bookies, the bookies, which you know the swing had gone very very much towards it being a remain vote. You know, and I you know I thought yeah, well you know it's game over for, for the, the leave the, case. I mean, it seemed to have lost a lot of momentum. It's the Farage poster, seem Farage poster. It, yeah. Is it fair to blame it on him? Well, yeah, he was the only one standing in front of it. That's so, true, yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, you looked at that and you thought, actually, you know, the nation's going to look at this and think, Ugh. Yeah, absolutely. And that's and effectively, that's what happened. The market was placed for the status quo. That did not happen. So the market reacted in the way markets react very quickly. Uh, you saw government bonds rally or yields fell and prices rose. Same, same, same chisel. Yeah, equities sold off very quickly. But here we sit less than a week after we found out the result. And actually the FTSE 100 is above where it started. And the pound was always going to fall in the event of a leave vote, regardless of what was priced in, given the kind of current account deficit that we yeah. run. Yeah, and, it, and as I mean, you know, it, it had gained some ground before. So, so the, the actual magnitude of the fall looked perhaps worse than it did on the day because we'd had, had this big rally in expectation of a remain vote but anyway it's not you know regardless the pound is is now weaker today than it was last thursday and i spoke to algie hall about this our uh, tips editor and uh, our stock screen guru and he you know he's like well don't get too carried away by the FTSE 100 rise because in dollar terms you know the the, the the market is not really that much higher than it was a week ago because of the magnitude of the fall in the pound uh so i think that's an interesting thing to consider couldn't agree more and then also don't get too carried away looking at just the FTSE 100 because you know a number of those stocks in terms of if you want to look at the FTSE 100 as a reflection of what it means for the UK economy because as we know a number of the biggest stocks are kind of global and some of them you kind of have a lot of kind of dollar generating so the, oil, the oil majors the, oil the majors. mine the big miners had a good week yeah, so exactly right. So if you'd look at it now, uh, you know, talking um, on Thursday, uh, after a week after the vote, you'd say, okay, well, are we back to square one? But a number of the stocks within the index, look at the UK banks, look at the house builders, look at some of the consumer stocks, are kind of close to pricing in 
possibly an economic slowdown next year, possibly a recession in terms of some of the forecasts that have come out since the vote about the impact it will have on the UK, given the uncertainty over the trading relationship with the EU. Absolutely. And, you know, there there are essentially two components to to the major uh, indices, the the, the blue chip indices in the UK, one of of which is the FTSE 100, which is very international in nature, the other of which is the FTSE 250, which is always cited as essentially being much more domestic in nature. And that's had a horrible week and that hasn't recovered in, in, in the same way that the FTSE 100 has. No, it's recovered to a degree. I mean, there are arguments about the fact that um, there's probably a bit less liquidity in that market, so falls are amplified by that. But um, as we just said, it, it, the constituents of the index are... Um, more domestically focused than the larger brethren in the FTSE 100. That's not to say all of the companies only focus on UK PLC, because that would be incorrect to say. But um, you know, something like the house builders are probably almost entirely UK focused. So, so let's have a look at the chart of the week uh, on the seven days page, uh, and that is the biggest Brexit fallers um, yeah. up until I think uh, it was Tuesday. 20, wasn't yeah, it, it was it? Tuesday. Tuesday that we measured this to, which was the day before our, our press day, so we couldn't complete a full day's sort of uh, trade before we went to press to take it to the Wednesday. Um, and as you see there, you've got Taylor Wimpy, Barrett, Persman topping topping the top three there. Um, IAG and EasyJet quickly following. Then you look at banks, some more um, house building related stocks and some more financials. Um, things like Schroeder as the fund manager. Mm, indeed. And a media company, ITV, in the middle of that as well, which uh, which is interesting from our perspective too because we, we've been talking about this on this podcast for a while that we know there's been a bit of a media slowdown in the run-up to Brexit and an advertising slowdown. And I guess the, uh, the worry is that that's going to continue. Uh, you would guess that the, the, the fear with that sort of scale fall in ITV is around the sort of plus 25% fall mark in this chart would be that, okay, yes, there's going to be a sort of schism in consumer sentiment and therefore advertisers are not going to want to spend money trying to get people to buy their products if they really don't think they're going to do that. Mm. Not not to mention England going out of the Euros. Yeah. 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 I wasn't supporting them anyway. (laughs) I was supporting (laughs) Poland all along. (laughs) Is that because of the sweepstake? (laughs) No, it's because I'm... My wife is half Polish. Oh, fair enough. One of the interesting... And, and, and Italy as well, because that's who I do have in the sweepstakes. So I'm Italy, you're Belgium, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, I'm still in there. Yeah, I'm I actually looking would... good. Aiden Hazard is um, really starting to come good. Indeed. So so that your initial goading of me on Twitter has... Uh, <laughs> My, yeah. we're, we're still at a bit of a stalemate here. Yeah, exactly. Who have you got, Bradley? Mm, Turkey. <laughs> <laughs> didn't even win worst Moving team on. that went to Megan didn't it because she had Ukraine that was, that was a real kicker is it? They were, they were, it was looking like I could win six quid back but that didn't happen never mind hey, never mind Anywho, Bradley. we, we digress I win these things all the time anyway and what we did see I was going to say is that what was really interesting was a high activity among our kind of readers private investors riding to the rescue when some of these companies were falling and it's not surprising you, you mentioned some of the oil majors but also the house builders there was a chance to buy into high yielding stocks at a price that you hadn't been able to do so for quite some time so you know well I, I guess I mean the worry is that uh it, you know, the idea is that Brexit or the possibility of a Brexit potentially made house housing less attractive as an asset class and that prices, house prices will fall as a result and that will affect the earnings of these guys. And actually something fundamental has happened, not just not just something sentimental. So, so are they the bargains that, that, you know, that the price falls suggest they are? I mean, I guess that's the big, the, the million dollar question. Yeah, because if you think that house prices are going to fall by a degree next year, then you're going to have to cut your EPS forecast for the house builders, which quite directly kind of 
put, puts on to the market valuation, obviously. So you can see, so you could say this is just a very reasonable move. And I saw, saw today that one of the kind of the Sing, uh, Singapore lender, UOB, which is one of the kind of main lenders to um, Asian investors in the uh, in the London market, has suspended its loans to people to investors from their buying uh, property. So while you can still say, well, the supply and de- uh, demand dynamics amongst UK um, citizens that want to buy property are still there, there is this big question mark about the foreign flow of capital into especially London and what the ripple effect of that will be. Okay, so for shareholders, that's bad news. Okay, that's potentially bad news. Uh, but Redrow came out um, very shortly after we'd, we'd got the result of the, the, the referendum and everything looks absolutely fine. Yeah. Well, well, they were talking about the weekend prior to the vote. They had people queuing uh, in long queues. But yeah, I think Red Vote, Bar- Barclay Group's been hit more, but has more of a London exposure. Mm. Um, so yes, I think that this is the million dollar question. It's very, so for those investors buying in, they're well aware of the fact that we don't have visibility so much now, maybe never do the housing market, about where prices will be next year. It's hard to tell until we get a sense of how investor sentiments shifted. But I'm just saying, I don't think you can only look at the domestic picture. Yeah, I mean, one thing Jonas has argued um, you know, in, in support of the house builders as bargains, um, and I think you've discussed this on the uh, Sector Focus podcast you did today. The Sector Focus, I thought this week, was absolutely brilliant, by the way. Um you know, really, really worth a read because it goes through a number of these key sectors and, and it looks at, uh, at the case for whether the falls have presented a buying opportunity. Really fantastic piece. Been really popular online, actually, and uh, and deservedly so. Um, it's a video, actually, that we did based on the... Oh, that's what I meant. Yeah. That's what I meant in a video, a video. Um, but the other, the other thing about house prices, I think, you know, people have suggested that the foreign influx of capital into the housing market has been a bad thing anyway in some respects because it's prevented many people from getting on the housing ladder so, so I, there's, a, there's a weird like political dimension this the, the young people are unable to get on the housing ladder but they're also appalled that we now uh, have voted to, to leave Europe and, and yet the house prices are going to get cheaper which, which is something they've been complaining about for ages anyway I mean for, for our readers you obviously have to s- separate what you think is kind of best uh, for the country and unless you have kind of some kind of ethical uh, investment or nationalist investment strategy you've just got to say what do you think the effect on the market will be um, but as to your point I think that reflects why a referendum is a binary choice so many people vote different ways for all kinds of reasons so yes some people may have voted because they think that um, a vote to leave the EU will in some ways mean uh, as a second order effect that people will there will be less competition for kind of UK properties, but many people won't have voted based on that. Mm. You know, so, I'm not so sure the what idea people... that young people are monolithic and that's what they think. I mean, I'm sure you speak to some young people; they will kind of prioritise economic security and have as an accept, be accepting of foreign capital coming into the property market if it means we have kind of more sustainable economy and stronger kind of base for jobs. Mm. I don't know, but yeah, that's why I think it's hard to kind of characterise. Also, I think as well the house builders from a from an investment perspective, their dividends are pretty well covered and pretty solid and pretty safe. Well, I was going to say, even if there's a little slip in house prices, I mean, you know, people yeah. who buy, have been buying these shares, not necessarily for the capital growth, but but for the cash. Exactly. And out, also, but... if sterling does remain very low, then we could import some inflation, which might actually kind of counterbalance prices, possibly. I mean, inflation is a funny odd thing, but... You know, I think there are certainly reasons that you can see why the market's become a bit more bearish on house builders mm. very quickly. But I think there are some fundamentals which maybe if you're taking a long term view, which as we often espouse people should do, 
you know, they, they have land banks, these these housing companies, and, and we've got great assets. We're not exactly awash with houses in this country, and we you know, regardless regardless of whether there is a slowdown in immigration, you know, I, I don't think, and I think Jonas makes this point that that uh, that will really affect the, the the shortage of homes, especially considering on the income side. I suppose if you characterise it since the financial crisis, the house builders have done a lot of work to um, kind of refinance, especially at the lower interest rates that we've seen. They're in a lot better nick financially um, than they have been in a long time. And a lot, uh, many of them have just kind of started to set capital return plans that run till kind of 2020. So actually, in terms of what's already been promised in terms of dividends and, and the kind of cash that's there to do that, these kind of cash rich companies. So I'm not surprised that a lot of uh, medium cap investors have piled in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember, you know, after the, the financial crisis uh, in 2007, eight, uh, I mean, you could pick these companies up for literally pence because they were in trouble. They'd been badly run, they'd overexpanded, uh, they were over-indebted and, uh, you know, it caught up with them, but they're different beasts today. A bit like the banks, I suppose. Yeah, the banks. I mean, let's talk about the banks because I guess their woes are kind of related to, to this, this, this fear that there's going to be a, a, an economic slowdown uh, and actually uh, a housing market slowdown as well. Definitely. We've seen the domestically focused banks have been hit hardest. And a lot of the discussion about banks prior to the referendum vote was about uh, investment banking given the central importance of the city to our economy and whether we would lose the kind of passporting rights into the EU, which allows London to be a kind of financial centre for Europe. And a lot of that debate was actually, interestingly enough, HSBC, the the biggest uh, bank and the most international, um, has been the most resilient. Mm. Standard Chartered was also resilient because what they lack is that um, exposure, the huge amount of exposure um, that Lloyds and RBS has to the domestic economy. What about about Barclays? I mean, this is a weird beast, Barclays, because it is quite international. It's probably more international than Lloyds or RBS. Uh, It's it's between two stools. That's the thing with Barclays. And and that's always been the question that we've posed on this podcast and in the pages um, over the past year or so, is the question, what does it want to be and so yeah to the, to the extent that it's an investment bank it's obviously hurt by um, a UK extraction from the EU that is bad for the city that would be bad for Barclays um, but obviously all of that is very much in flux there's a large amount of political uncertainty but obviously it has a large retail banking operation as well so we've seen some retrenchment from Barclays whereas um, HSBC for example is still com- committed to that universal banking model of providing kind of corporate banking facilities retail banking and investment banking in lots of different um, geographies yeah, I mean, yeah so we've been reasonably sceptical of Barclays and because of this question about it doesn't really know what it wants to be RBS, I think, you know, we've, we've kind of thought for a while, there's, there's a lot of problems there still to, to deal with. I mean, we're, what are we now, seven, eight years after the financial crisis? And I, th- I think it's still in the process of fixing itself. Lloyds was a, a company we were a bit more positive about, but they got bashed too. They got bashed too. Obviously, it's the biggest, you know, it has the biggest market share in terms of retail banking in the UK. It was always going to get hit, but also it was one of the most bought stocks from those investors that we talked about piling in mm. because of the returning dividend. So, yeah, the big question for Lloyd's, um, as for the other stocks we were talking about, is what will be the extent of the hit on the market? And will we see a declining consumer sentiment as well? Is it generally going to have a reduced appetite for consumer lending as well? I mean, let's talk about the this consumer sentiment thing because the retailers took a battering an absolute hammering Mm. Um, and I I think there's a couple of things at work there Bradley I mean what's your view well yeah I mean this morning there was actually a YouGov uh, 
poll which they commissioned with CEBR and that sort of showed that consumer confidence had fallen sharply after the Brexit vote. They've obviously done a bit of a snap poll on that. That's, that's perhaps sort of... Well, we don't trust pollsters anymore, so well, who exactly, cares? Yeah. <laughs> it's also perhaps understandable given the week of news flow we've had, you know, sort of yeah. chaos in political parties and, uh, you know, sort of uncertainty about what the vote actually means. So it's a bit understandable, people are a bit uncertain. We've had for the past few months, really, quite a few companies report... Um, Definitely a soft winter. Mm-hmm. So um, Restaurant Group is a really good example of a consumer-facing stock that's really been having a bit of a torrid time. Whit- a former darling. Yeah, as well. I mean, Whitbread as well. I mean, you know, it's, it's trading update over the winter was not that great. Cost has suffered because footfall on the high street was not very good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... I mean, it's very, very difficult. But I mean, the the consumer landscape is changing so much, for one thing, which is a bit of a problem. You know, you're having to have a very good online presence to keep up with the competition these days. So I guess, um, I mean, consumer sentiment... It's been fragile already. Um, perhaps that's linked to kind of the stage in the economic cycle that we are. Um, and also the fact that, you know, wages have been rising. I think that the, the wage growth rise more recently has been a bit more, bit pitiful. So people's wealth has perhaps been tied up with um, the feeling that they're, they're quite prosperous because of perhaps their property wealth yeah. and how much their, their house or flat is worth. That now could be in trouble if people think that, their, their property isn't worth as much or they were in the process perhaps of a transaction and somebody who wanted to buy their property has now tried to undercut what they were previously offering yeah. that that could be a key thing that hits consumer sentiment actually indeed indeed i mean i mean let's talk about dixon's car phone so they they had a big you know hit to their share price yeah that looks in pretty decent shape that business it does i mean harriet covers this and she did the results uh, yesterday i believe um and she's kept it on a buy because I think it fell now to about 11 times. And her view is that, yes, while consu- you know, sort of electronics are um, definitely a discretionary purchase, although they're becoming a bit more entangled oh, in everyday I don't lives. think anyone can do without their mobile phone. It's only, it's only old duffers like me that don't care what their mobile phone is. <laughs> yeah, but everyone's anymore. got one. So <laughs> you know, they don't necessarily need a new one. That, that, that is discretionary, one would argue. Oh, I don't, I don't buy that. I think the moment the new iPhone comes out, everyone wants it. Perhaps, perhaps. Currency is a big problem here, isn't it? Potentially. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, but but I, th- I do think consumer sentiments are a problem. And I think yeah. that, I mean, no, as I say again, what I think is a problem is that electronics as a broad church are a discretionary item. Mm-hmm. And so Dixon's car phone could suffer if people don't want to start buying the latest thing yeah not yeah. not to mention and i completely agree with everything you've said and um and the results we did cover this week and the like for like sales were at five percent so i mean it's in the actual business the organic um strength of business is very good but they also do have european operations both uh, inside the european union and they also have a norwegian operation which is inside the european is economic area so this not- is is this a problem or a good thing I think it well. I, I think people are trying to work that out, but it's potentially a hurdle, isn't it? If you know, if the UK then extracts itself from the EU, and um, the fact they have operations in both places might help them, might hurt them. But it depends on how the relationship is actually. Yeah, I mean, set. this is what I don't understand. I mean, it's not like a drawbridge is being pulled up, and uh, you know, any British company that's operating out in Europe can no longer operate there. I mean, I don't understand. I don't get this. I mean, this seems. But off. we don't. We don't know the level of tariffs, and we don't know. Um, how that's going to be set up. But we know, what w, we know what WTO says. So we, you know, there, is, there is a kind of max. As a, as a sort of kind of comparison here, in answer to the question about is having an operation in Europe a good thing or a bad thing, interestingly, EasyJet has a Swiss operating licence. And so for it, it kind of, you know, although it has no idea like the rest of us what will happen, will there or will, won't there be trade barriers, will we be able to fly freely, whatever, 
it has an it has a license to fly um, from Switzerland across the whole of Europe, and it has a UK license. So that could, if things don't go very collegiately, be a good thing. Okay, yeah. so let's talk yeah. about yeah. Dixon's car phone. That could be the same thing. And yeah. also, they and then just a small final thing to finish there is that they source some of their goods from the US, so they do get hit by the kind of dollar pound yeah. thing. So yeah. there's, there's there's a few different I think which makes it quite difficult for our readers. So a few different. Uh, factors going on. It's always it seems there's so much going on. It's almost impossible to to triangulate. And and, yeah. and I would suggest maybe wrongly, but you know my view would be when there is so much uncertainty, when there's so many moving parts that you can't work it out, the tendency is to overreact. So actually, this could be bargain territory for some of these companies. That's certainly what we think about Dixon's. Absolutely, on, on eleven times for a very robust group that has, um, as Ian pointed out, you know, like flux sales growth in a sort of patchy consumer market is good. Yes, we don't know if that's going to persist or the growth in like flux sales will absolutely keep going through the roof or anything, but it's a robust business and the, the merger of the two entities very recently kind of creates a bit of scale that may well end up being very useful. Yeah, I mean, let's, let's go back to EasyJet quickly because mm. they, they were probably the first company to come out with a, with uh, a they warning be, after? They were beaten by IAG down the wrong way, actually. Oh, uh, were they? Yeah, okay, fair I, enough. IAG. As usual. As usual. Um, let's, I mean, let's talk about about EasyJet because I think it's quite interesting because they warned on profits quite quite quickly after we knew the result of the vote. There was a mention of Brexit in the profit warning. There was. There yeah, was. but we but, but, but it, is it was this a case of you know the the classic burying bad news type thing? Well, one analyst I spoke to who didn't want to be named saying that said basically that that you know <laughs> um, Brexit could well be used as an excuse for companies to get out some bad news and this comes back to something i said earlier that the stage in the business cycle consumer sentiment you know brexit weighs on these things potentially and it could be convenient for companies to say this is a problem but with easyjet there are far more tangible reasons why it's issued a profit warning Those mainly air traffic strikes. control strikes in france yep which I, france. I have in the past been caught right in the middle of I, did i t- i did i i must have told you my story that of, of getting taking six days to get home you after did that. which is just crazy i told the story a million times it was great i got, I got a longer holiday it's brilliant but um but it cost the easyjet a lot of money because they had to pay for me to be put up in you know accommodation for, for another six days exactly and, and and as long as all the other costs they have to deal with precisely you and plane loads of other people as exactly. well the exactly. number of cancellations they've had has been just remarkable and they've had weather related cancellations as well there's problems at Gatwick because apparently there's a pothole in the runway and that's causing sort of what some, yeah honestly yeah <laughs> okay fair enough um, so that's causing issues at Gatwick in terms of getting planes off the ground quick so enough surely they could fix it well that's what the that's what well I spoke to uh, Martin Walker at Investigate Perpetual a fund manager and he said exactly the same thing like have we not heard of tarmac in this country <laughs> i'm sorry um, yeah all right so i was flabbergasted by that that latest revelation but yeah. um but the, 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 basically what i'm trying to say there there are tangible reasons why easyjet would issue a profit warning uh, come back coming back to brexit the fall in the pounds does create an issue for it because it will as it said mean costs rise for it um but it does earn a lot in euros so there is potentially a benefit or a, a counteract to be uh, sort of found there so I'm kind of um, remaining bullish on EasyJet. I think that um, it is oversold. And I think that I have some sympathy with the view of Martin Walker from Invesco, who says that he sees this um, as much like um, you know a strike or a terrorist event in that it will hit, cons- it's very likely to hit yeah. demand in the short term. But we are a nation of travellers. Far more Brits holiday out to Europe than vice versa. And he thinks that on balance that is going to be an enduring thing 
therefore to buy IAG, which I think Libram, which has moved it to a hold, said it's at one of its lowest ratings possibly ever or for a very long time. You know, I think for a long-term investor, that's quite a good entry point. It's not going to be a straight line back up. And consumer sentiment is likely to be hit by this. I've seen it before. We've seen it before. You know, exactly. I mean, I was working in, uh, I was working in a broker uh, in, uh, you know, when, when the uh, planes hit the Twin Towers. I mean, you know, travel stocks and airline stocks were the, the most battered and they've come back. And actually, EasyJet, um, you know, got battered uh, when I got stuck in France because obviously that had an enormous effect on its profits at the time. But it's a much better business now than it was then. And I think, exactly. you know, that actually helped them to, to refocus their business at that point. Yeah, nothing you can do about air traffic control strikes in France, though. There's not, no, and, and that that might endure and be a big problem. But EasyJet has increased the amount it kind of um, has in terms of business travel, which is important. Yes, you could say that might wane in the uh, wake of Brexit, but again, it will it will come back. It will endure. The world needs to trade. Um, and IAG, you know, its recent purchase of things like Aer Lingus, its budget airline Vueling, which it kind of um, got as part of the purchase of Iberia. Those are important factors as well, and they they potentially help IAG with that sort of um, that trading down that might happen. All right, well, it sounds generally positive. What's um, this good to hear? Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think people might think I'm barking mad, but I think um, I don't oh, know. who would say that, Brad? <laughs> well, a few not people. to your face. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> just behind my back. But I, I just I think I do ha- I do have sympathy for those views that um, tourism will endure, and the the valuations the airlines are on now make it a compelling entry point. Yeah. No, interesting stuff. I mean, you mentioned there that one of the uh, headwinds that uh, EasyJet is likely to face is the is the cost of oil, cost of the, of fueling its planes. Um, so you know, let's let's turn some good news this week because the the cost of oil has has actually uh, is behind one of the positive stories of the week, and that is that uh, our big oil majors have done really well this week. Yeah, um, uh, we've written a piece in the news section by Alex Newman and. Um BP and Royal Dutch Shell had a remarkable week, actually. They've risen an awful lot. At the time of going to press, uh, BP was up about 8% and Royal Dutch Shell was up about 12 um, This morning, it could well be even more since the Brexit vote. Um, there are a couple of reasons for this, I suppose. A, they're very, very big companies. That helps. Um, so they're pretty, seen as pretty robust. They're internationally diverse. Um, Dollar earners. Dollar earners is the key thing on the coming back to the currency thing, the point of the reason for talking about these companies. They are dollar earners. So effectively, that is uh, a positive when you translate those dollar earnings back into pounds if the pound has fallen, which it mm. has. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, and actually, I mean, you must have looking across the, the, the results and you know, what we've heard this week. Dollar earners have been in demand. I mean, so the, the farmer has been had a good week. Big farmer. Yeah, you you can just see private investors looking for a natural hedge. You know, we don't, as you've said, know the ins and outs of how this is going to affect all different sectors. We have our early conclusions of what the market is telling us, but a um, a pretty straightforward thing to do is to say, well, actually, shall I get some more kind of dollar stocks in my portfolio? Do you know every share I own is up this week? <laughs> I was waiting until you were bringing this up. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, they've had a bit of a rough ride beforehand, though. It's. Uh... But I guess I mean, think, like Ian says, that, that, that hedging nature of some stocks, things like Diageo, I looked at before we came down to the podcast, has done well in mm. the wake of Brexit. The tobacco Thanks. stocks, yeah, tobacco stocks have done well. Um, is, that, is that because all the traders just 
Well, t- turning to dr- drinking fags to, to, I mean, to help themselves well, through this 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 tumultuous time. It, it might seem well, like they haven't. Bit... If you look at Green King's results, right? Yeah, uh, actually, it wasn't you that covered it. It was a colleague, Emma Powell. Uh, I, I would, th- you know, in the in the uncertainty running up to the EU referendum, people were not hiding in the pub, and uh, so perhaps they will be now. You know, now. Um, but uh, yeah, it's going to go back to the football thing, though. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's that's not great for them. A lot of the pub groups have made quite a big push around the Euros. I mean, it's tremendous. Yeah. You, every time we have a major football tournament the pub groups are usually the ones that are in the spotlight because you know it's all about how far will England go and will this mean that people spend a few more quid in the pub no one's talking about it now well, maybe is it the, because England is so the... dismal or because this, yeah. <laughs> this event has just overshadowed everything I mean I think it's a bit of both I think it's a bit of both but Wales are still in it you know or they oh, when is that game actually I don't know I don't know maybe it's tomorrow but yeah, I think going back to what you were saying earlier, John, I think it's really interesting, this idea of the Brexit excuse, because we're going to be seeing a lot more of that. And it's something I wrote about a bit this week. I actually think there is more grounds for the Brexit excuse now than there was before the referendum. We had a lot of companies citing kind of pre-referendum uncertainty. Mm. Um, and I, I, I put a bit more stock in it now. I think if you look at what Chris Dillow's written this week, the IOD, the Institute of Directors, saying that kind of one in three people responding to a survey said they would now pause business investment. Um, and I think... The, one of the uncertainties for me is what will the, be, the impact be on business investment? I think yeah. that's what we kind yeah. of don't know and that will feed in hugely into all these things we're talking about in terms of what the economic pitch will be for like for next year and how concerned we should be about our kind of bank stocks and all that. All the rest yeah. of it. I mean, a point Chris has made for a while though is that business investment has been kind of depressed for, for some time anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. you know, oh God, how much more depressed can it get? Well, no, well, exactly. And he also makes a really good point around, um, all, OK, we've had this big fall in the pound. Will it lead to, you know, a big rise in inflation? Well, he thinks actually it's going to be more of a hit on margins because he thinks UK companies are still going to try and price to market with the rest of their European competitors. So obviously that we've seen European companies suffer because uh, they think, you know, uh, their margins might be squeezed by mm. the kind of UK um, price setting. So, yeah, I, I think we can't just say there's going to be a mechanical effect. And he actually makes the point that the relationship between uh, the sterling and inflation hasn't been um, as as kind of clear as people would have said in you know in some areas of economic theory about the, how tight that relationship is. Yeah. So I don't think we can really make any of these um, too much of these statements about what the falling pound will definitely mean for inflation. No, I, th- I think it's still a lot of wait and see here. But I, you know, but equally this wait this you know this fact that we even today after we know the result are unclear about what the future has in store. You know, the idea that you could predict with any certainty what either result would mean afterwards. I, I always thought that was pretty specious beforehand anyway. Yeah, but um, without letting it descend into a political discussion. No. I, I, I do agree with you. I, I do think that's something about the nature of referendums in terms of you have people on the leave side of the argument and the remain side of the argument who all have very different views about how they would you know, like to run the country in the event of their vote. So we haven't had, and some people have been very critical of, a plan for Brexit because there are different parties on that side of the argument mm. um, with very different views about how they would run the economy. And obviously this is all developing as we speak in terms of the the leadership race for the Conservative Party. Which is the most amazing thing I've ever seen, except for the leadership race for the Labour Party, <laughs> which is going on simultaneously. Which is, well, it hasn't yeah. actually technically started Well, it yet. hasn't technically started, but it kind of has. But yeah. It's just mental. I've never seen politics like this in this On country. both sides of the, the House, yeah. Got the talk, I mean, to be fair to the Conservative Party... You know, despite what you mentioned, Ian, that you know this uh, this kind of division in about exactly which way we should proceed, and, and Farage seems to have been booted into touch here, which 
I don't think anybody could say it's a bad thing. <laughs> Whether you supported Leave or Remain, Farage being booted and such can only be a good... I saw his speech in the European Parliament. Yeah. It's incendiary and pointless. <laughs> He's had his 17 years in the limelight. I think it's time for him to just um, just sit in the pub now and not talk and sit in the pub. Well, I, I actually heard, you know, one of their big backers, a guy called Aaron Banks, um, had said, we're going to kind of change this party now and uh, Nigel might not be at the head of it. Well, so. the, the fact is, I mean, when you get away from a referendum and the kind of groups that that can promote and you get back to our constituency-based democracy, they have almost no influence within um, Parliament. No. Uh, they, got, they got very close in the kind of northern constituencies and were they to run a general election again this year, we know that people within the Labour Party are very scared about how, you keep, how powerful they could be. But as things currently stand, their voice in Parliament is very small. So, yeah, it's not surprising that kind of UKIP get pushed to the sidelines um, and I'm sure they'll reconstitute as some kind of voice of the working class party um, kind of powering for them and, and living up to people's expectations about what leaving the European Union would be. Mm. And that would be a threat to Labour big time. I think Labour should be yeah. worried. I think they And that underlies what's going on now in their Labour, uh, their leadership um, Ferrari. So, uh, you know, we don't talk about politics usually, uh, but we can talk about it objectively because it is so fascinating. You know, uh, what we need now, I would suggest, is a bit, is, is some kind of clarity on where we might be going. And <laughs> as soon as we get a new Prime Minister... I think we will start to get that. Yeah, I think and, the first and, and, step is surely like, okay, this is what we want, which isn't even clear yet. No. Once no. we have that, then we can discuss it with Europe. And then once we're in the discussion, we can kind of get a bit of a better idea of the lay of the land. And hopefully that might sort of um, reaffirm some business confidence, possibly, or it might not. Um, but yeah, you're right. We just need that first step, um, which I suppose will come after the, the, the sort of machinations yeah. of uh, Westminster. But Boris is out. Ruled himself out. Not surprisingly, really. I mean, his position had become untenable. Michael Gove has put his his name forward, although I keep seeing him uh, and occasions upon which he has maintained that he is not a man who is fit to be Prime Minister. From his own mouth. <laughs> he's just very loud. He's just modest, John. He's just modest. Oh, are, God. Are, are people not allowed to change their mind if they believe it to be in the national interest? Yeah, I think you're you're giving him far too much credit there. So, so, I mean, you know, we talked about yeah, surely, and you, you're a bit nervous about using that word, Bradley. But Theresa May is looking like a shoo-in, really. Well, as we, as we said upstairs, shoo-ins are a strange thing. But she now. likes her shoes. That's I mean. Uh, <laughs> um, the, the key thing is that the key challenge for her, obviously, is that she was on the remain side of the argument, yeah, although she not vocally. She got barely quiet, Smart. but there's still there's enough photos out there with her on it that could that, you know, in terms of rallying that vote, yeah, the Conservative Party just decide has to decide what kind of party it wants to be. Does it want to stay a one nation? party especially given the challenge of kind of retaining Scotland as part of the union and all of these things but I think why this is really important for kind of our readers and the economy obviously is that there are many different things being said about from UK politicians about the nature of the relationship they want with Europe and the kind of things that we would want to negotiate prior to kind of triggering the Article 50 and starting the formal process of separating ourselves and what is coming from the kind of senior ministers in Germany and France and the key Euro, uh, European Union countries around 
well, we won't actually start that negotiating process until it's triggered. And you're going to have this kind of shadow boxing that's going to happen after we choose who our next, or after the Conservative Party choose who the next Prime Minister is going to be. But then you're hearing mixed messages from, from the continent as well. So, exactly. You know, you've heard like we won't, there's no room for cherry picking from, from Merkel, but then you've heard the French finance minister saying everything's on the table. So, I mean, you know. We don't know. And the thing is, businesses are saying, if you heard um, David Cameron uh, yesterday at Prime Minister's questions, he was, he was kind of saying things like yes we would want access to the single market then elsewhere he would say yes we would want a close relationship with the single market i mean even obviously he's not going to be around to run the show his mind's elsewhere i think his mind's elsewhere and obviously we can't blame anyone for using different bits of language within kind of a two-hour kind of question answer session but at the same time businesses are going to be listening very closely to hear what is if say theresa may becomes the the prime minister what exactly is she going to try and um, negotiate from our European Union partners and things and if it is access to the single market but without uh, freedom of movement that is something that they have been categoric that they will not accept so it'll be quite a climb down for Germany and France and especially France given their own domestic political context someone somewhere's got to climb down (laughs) (laughs) it's going to be embarrassing for somebody so (laughs) but it's fascinating we've We've strayed far too far into politics. It's not what we do. But um, I know, seriously, the most fascinating week to be a financial journalist, I think, ever. Quite ever. possibly, in a long time. And we've devoted, we, we've got an extra page in news uh, this week for, for listeners who are thinking about, if they don't get the magazine, who are thinking about getting it, we've devoted a lot of space to the Brexit debate and hopefully try to bring some sort of... Um, illumination onto what we kind of think will be the actual impact on sectors now and whether there's any real value there to be had well yeah we've got 20 pages throughout the magazine um you know so you know whether it's from the fund section the personal finance section or uh yes sectors you know looking at it on a really stock by stock basis uh some some economic thinking from from chris dillo uh mr bearble has written possibly one of my favourite pieces that he has ever written wow. uh, this week. Yeah, I, I loved it. I mean, it's really talking about um, how what what we were voting against in the UK. We? What the electorate in aggregate has voted against. The 52%. The 52%. Um, it's not the EU itself, but, but, but the, the, the after effects of globalisation and how this has created such massive income disparity. It's, it's something I touch on in my editorial. Um, I do think, you know, this, this is a... Yeah, whatever you think of the result, this is a great moment for, for politics in general because I think it's just the reset moment. We need to re- have a rethink about what's been going on for a long, long time. Um, and this is a great opportunity to really you know, get, get the old whiteboard out and, and have, a, have a think about how we want, want the future to look. It's like the end of Fight Club. Have you I, seen remember, I have seen Fight Club. Well, the, the, all the, all the tower it? blocks have fallen. You used to, you used to oh, press yes, yes, of course. Just press the reset button. Yeah, well, I don't finishes. want it quite like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you know, well, that's, it's not up to you now. The, the, the wheel is in spin, as they yeah, say. Well, yeah, I'm no Tyler Durden, but uh, <laughs> yes, I, I, I know what you want. But no, I, I think this is a wonderful moment. I really do. I mean, it's just a really good time to think. Bearball concludes his article with, with some fantastic... Uh, common sense advice on how you uh, cope with moments of stress like this. Um, I mentioned in my editorial that, as I said, my shares are up. They're defensive. That's one way to, to, to not have to worry about things like this. James Norrington, our colleague who, who is more interested in things like asset allocation, um, yeah, his portfolio is up this week. I think it's, as well, if you look at the um, the private investors, the platforms, seeing people like Hargreaves, Lansdowne, uh, Tilney Best Invest, in terms of funds, they were mentioning the likes of Woodford, very defensive. Mm. Terry Smith buys those 
big global companies whose um, consumers are people who are, are making just small repeatable purchases like Colgate, then you know, people are going to buy toothpaste, pretty much whatever. Those sorts of people, um, uh, the funds have done pretty well. Yeah, absolutely. So, so my view is, you know, have a plan, stick to it. You know, and my plan would generally be by quality, by quality assets that pay dividends, reinvest those dividends, stick to it over the long term, don't overtrade because that costs you money, and you will do okay. Mm-hmm. You won't be barely need to touch portfolio. And buy uh, Investors Chronicle digital and print subscription. Absolutely. Well, you can't go wrong with that. I mean, you know, Ian, if there's one thing you've you've kind of come out of this week thinking, this is, this has changed my thinking or this has reinforced my thinking in some way, I mean, what, what would it be? I've put you on the spot here, but... I, I I don't know. I think that it's too much in flux at the moment to say this is reinforced or changed my thinking very much. Um, I think the way I'm reflecting on it is just reading through our company's writers' analyses of um, what management is saying. And I think there is a fair amount of concern. I mentioned that IOD thing around business investment. Um, there's a lot of divergence in terms of what people are uh, forecasting for what the economy will do next year and I think one of the things I suppose I've come out of it thinking is if you don't believe the housing market is going to fall if you think that those fundamentals are there it's quite an interesting time for some of these really popular stocks amongst our readers so I just wonder if I was going to be a contrarian I possibly wouldn't be as pessimistic about the property market but to believe that you've got to take a bit of a gove approach and say as you you mentioned in your column and say experts what the hell do they know yeah, exactly. And well, I suppose what we haven't had from the experts is what's actually going into those those models yet. And wait, I'd, I'd say wait until the autumn statement potentially when we get the OBR figures and the forecast because there's all matter of number of things in terms of what in terms of how this is going to affect our economy. And there's things like well, we mentioned the banks, the fact that the the uh, the Treasury forecasts the income it's going to get from selling off its RBS stakes and its Lloyd stake. Well, that can't happen, and they forecast income from that. Mm. So the state of the public finances, we're going to have to wait until the autumn statement to get a sense of actually where we are with that um, and at that point we'll get the kind of OBR forecast you have to, uh, you have to remake your podcast Ian on, uh, on Lloyd's it's well, brilliant it's, 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 it's the gift that keeps on giving well, it, every time people talk about the Lloyd's share sale we can just republish it well it still exists you don't even have to republish it excellent yeah, wonderful go and listen to it for free Bradley key, yeah. key learnings of the week from an investment perspective I think um, I, I kind of agree uh, mostly with Ian I think that in terms of um, if if one is out there looking and wondering what to do you know, to add to their share portfolio or augment an existing position, the house builders seem a compelling opportunity to me. We, you know, we, we all we all want and need houses. That that is not going to change. Um, the airline stocks. I mean, I can understand some listeners thinking I'm a little bit. Uh, um, optimistic um, in the short term, and I'd probably inclined to agree with them. But I just think in the long term, you know, business travel, consumer travel, it, it will endure, it will remain. And um, I can't, if, if we're in a world where British Airways is, is disappearing, then a lot of other things will be as well. So I think some of the travel stocks have been very overhit, and banks, I mean, Lloyd's and well, RBS maybe for shares for your grandchildren because one day they'll rise. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think RBS at half book price or whatever it was and Lloyd's, you know, returning to the dividend roster. Yes, there are going to be problems in the short term and there may well be in the long term if we have a really acrimonious relationship with Europe. But as you say, you have to buy on weakness. And RBS think- is still 80% owned pretty much by the taxpayer. So if mm. you don't think that bank is going to collapse, that it's, it's pretty cheap at the moment. Exactly. 
but you know it's a big call it's brave what yeah. about you john what are your what's your lesson my, well, my lesson is, you know, as I say, I have a plan to stick to it. But you know, I like I like defensives. Um, I would always have a, a very solid core portfolio, and you know, and bargain hunt around the edges. I think I think you know, if you've got a bit of spare cash, you know, now's the time to to be now's the time to be having a little punt, as it were. Yeah, exa- exactly. Uh, I think some of these stocks are probably that. I mean, more in terms of a, a spectrum, the travel stocks are the greater punt. Then I would put banks in the middle and house builders at the slightly less edgier punt. I mean, biotechs, biotechs took a battering. You know, I think yeah, biotechs on the basis that, you know, UK science funding is about to dry up because, no, it's not going to happen. You know, these companies, if they've got something good, you know, it will, it will endure, it will come through. So, you know, anything that's been really badly battered, I, I would be looking at thinking mm, potential opportunity here. I, I, I really would, but you know, my, I, I'm a cautious guy, so I would always stick to the uh, to, to the principles of, as I say, you know, diversification and uh, having having a slightly defensive mindset and re- reinvesting dividends. That's 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 the way you invest. That's the way you invest. If you don't need to take any income out of the companies you buy, reinvest the dividends. And if you've got twenty or thirty years, which I hope hope that we all have, you know, time will do the work for you. Time and you know, bouts of market weakness are, uh, are 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 exciting for us, but they're also wonderful opportunities. This wonderful is like um, F, uh, this is like FDR's fireside chat instead of, instead of the present. <laughs> it's uh, John Newman reassuring the finance industry uh, and the stock market investor that things are going to uh, be all right. Man. I guess I know, it, 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 it does speak to a serious point that you've you've only lost money in the past week if you sold, and yeah. that that is true. And I think a lot of financial advisors that I've seen on Twitter have been saying just that. Like, yes, the falls were great. Yes, billions are wiped off of the stock market, but. You only lost if you sold. Yeah. So if you didn't sell and you left yourself invested in the Fitz One Hundred, a week later you're actually up. Indeed, I think this is my I think this is my fourth major sell off. Like major sell off, you know. You kind of get a bit bit immune to the <laughs> battle hardened. <laughs> yeah, you got a thousand yards there. Uh, anyway, okay, fantastic. Well, we kind of yeah, I think that's that's good. We've got a lot, have a lot of ground there. I mean, there's loads in the magazine this week, absolutely yeah. loads. We haven't even touched the cover feature, which is really interesting. It, it's about some of the things you can look at, and then some of those are related to, to actually global trade. So these are going to be very pertinent indicators in the months ahead. Uh, it's about secret signals. It's things like container, you know, shipping, uh, shipping rates, and you know, gar- levels of garbage believe it or not actually a, a good stock market indicator really fantastic we've got plenty in the personal finance fun section on brexit as well uh, actually leonora walters pf matters piece uh, i i really like the headline do nothing and i think that's the point we're making you only lose if you sell and actually you know tinkering is 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 what the industry wants you to do sometimes because that's how they make their money if you talk to wealth managers at times like this um they tend to sit on their hands and you know, perhaps it perhaps top up, but generally you don't make investment decisions at high times of high volatility. Yeah, indeed, absolutely. So uh, anyway, thank you, Bradley. Thank you, Ian, um, and and thank you to the to the whole team this week. I think everyone's done a great job, and uh, under what have been pretty trying circumstances, really. So like, emotions have been running high. We don't all agree in the in the in the magazine. So so we've been trying to get this out while we've been arguing furiously with each other as well about what the future has in store. Secret signals is the cover feature. But obviously, I think I think Brexit is probably what most people are interested in this week. Uh, and when you're bored with Brexit, you can we've got some nice reading material in there as well. Anyway, thank you very much. Pick up the magazine, all with news agents, four pounds seventy. And uh, obviously, if you like what you read, go and subscribe. Thank you very much, and we'll catch up again next week. Mm-hmm.